Welcome to Gateway Church Wirral Online. We're so delighted that you're with us this morning. So great that you can be a part of our live streamed gathering. Just to welcome you to this space and what we're all about. Um, to say that we as a church, we're all about seeing people meet with God, encounter him for all his goodness and his grace and for lives to be changed by him. As a church, we want to see a world transformed, made better and better through every life transformed by the grace of God. So our hope and our prayer for you today, meet with Jesus in the things that we're saying, in the things that we're singing, in the way that we're opening up the word of God, which is alive for us today. We want you to know Jesus, know that he loves you, know that he has a plan for your life. And as we're going through our gathering this morning, do please connect with us here in this live stream space. You can fill in our connection card. The tab, I think, is at the top of your screen. Request prayer if you'd like to. There are great, friendly people who would love to pray with you. And do just connect with us in any and every way that you'd love to. As a church, we gather. That's what we're about today. When we come to the close of our gathering, I'll tell you how you can connect with us going forward into the week. So have a really great time. Be blessed. Enjoy yourself and enjoy Jesus, we pray. Good morning. Happy Father's Day, church. Has every gentleman had a bacon butty? <laughs> You've obviously not, because if you had a bacon butty, I think you'd feel a bit happier about it than that. Is every, uh, yeah? is, every, is every lady wondering why they didn't get a bacon butty this morning? If we've got any leftover after all of the men have had their reasonable allocation of 14, um, then we'll start moving on to the later. Church, would you stand with me here if you're at home? Why not stand as well? And uh, I'm sorry we couldn't do mail order bacon butties this morning, but you know, fry, fry yourself up something quick. Um, and we're going to really celebrate this morning. There's going to be a lot of fun uh, for the gentlemen of the church as we go along. It's wonderful to be able to gather, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to be able to be the church of Jesus Christ? And as we begin this morning, we're wanting to pray to our Father in heaven. His name is hallowed. It's holy above all other names. And because we have God, who is now our Father through Jesus Christ, everything else makes sense. Everything else finds its right and proper place in Him. And so right now as we begin, come on, let's find our right and proper place in Him. Shall we do that? And let's just pray for a moment or two as we begin. Come on, church. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you this morning that through you we can know God as our Father. Amen. We thank you, dear God, that you, our Father, so loved us that you sent, indeed you gave, your one and only Son. That if we believe in you, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior, we will not know death now and forever. Rather, we will know life in all its fullness, both now and forever. God, we thank you that there is a way for us to be in your family. We thank you for these wonders and these truths, for these joys, this foundation for everything that we are. And so, God, this morning we celebrate you. We celebrate you, Father God. We celebrate that we are your family and we celebrate everything that that means for us. God be praised. God be praised as we gathered here in Birkenhead. God be praised as our friends gather in Wallasey. God be praised as our family gathers through the live stream all over. God be praised as we, your family, worship you, Father God. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Amen. Going to come around the scriptures in a moment or two. Just to say, um, for this sermon to really, really work, um, Grace is just going to pass around a can of shaving foam each. And um, no, not really. Um, <laughs> you're all wishing you came with those full face shields. And I'll be all right. Put some eyebrows on it and a little, you know, smiley face. I was like, no, not really. Um, it's good to have a little bit of fun, isn't it? Oh, you miserable, miserable bunch. Um, isn't it good to have a little bit of fun? And um, I'm told there are a few bacon butties left. Don't, don't run out now. Um, but, you know, afterwards, you can grab yourself a bacon butty as well. And God bless you. Um, we... Um, at the moment, and forgive me if I spend the rest of the time kicking what's-its around the stage, but um, at the moment, we're considering what it might be um, to build back better. First of all, we're going to need to clean up, aren't we? Moxie did say, uh, as they came to a conclusion, he said, hang on, mum's going to have to clean up after me again. <laughs> as, as usual, Carol, is that, yeah, is that how it goes? Um, we're considering what it is to build back better. It's the kind of language that's around us an awful lot at the moment. When things have been broken, uh, when much has been literally chucked up in the air and has come down in all sorts of pieces and all sorts of places, it's a good and a right question for us to ask. And so we're digging into a book of the Bible that's called Nehemiah. Um, and if you've got a Bible with you or it's on your phone, I'd recommend that you head there. Not only that, but I recommend you, you have a read of it over these weeks. It's not very long. Um, you'll find some bits are really fascinating and interesting. It's a kind of an eyewitness account. You'll find other bits where it's long, long lists of names that you've never heard before, a little heavy going. But persevere, there's really good stuff and there's good reason within it. And, you know, we're talking about this idea of the future together how we might build back better. And, and, you know, we're allowing ourselves to dream. Um, last um, time we, we considered this, we, we, we kind of dreamed about some of the, the thinking that's going on around us in the world. And we talked about donut economics. Oh, donuts. And, um, and we kind of reflected on other things, like the beverage report that came out of the Second World War. And, and since we've talked, and, you know, all these kind of highfalutin leaders of the world have met in Cornwall for the G7, and they've been planning how to build back better in their own different ways. And um, there's all sorts of things like that. You know, we as a church are considering how we build back better corporately as the body of Christ. Within your own life, you might be recognizing that, well, actually, now's a really good time to make some changes. And maybe you've got plans or hopes or dreams for the future. What we recognized right at the outset was it's great to have plans or hopes and dreams. But like Nehemiah, do you really care? Do you really care for the things that God cares about? Do you care enough to have your heart broken by God for his will? As this is, the, this is the, 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 the revelation that we have through Christ for the Father heart of God for his world. It's of brokenheartedness. It's not that God doesn't have a plan. He has the best plan ever. If you don't know about God's plan of salvation, then catch me afterwards. Jesus loves you. And God the Father has done everything so that your life can be made new and indeed be made perfect. What an incredible offer from God for you. God's got a plan. But the plan of God flows out of the fact that his heart was broken for a broken world. And the challenge for us then is, how about us? 
You know, this is where we left Nehemiah last time. He was broken. He was hurting. He was praying very significantly. He was praying prayers of repentance, of a godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 told us, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Does anybody want to live without regret? Yeah. There's only one way. It's through Jesus. It's a good way. Best way. Salvation without regret. Listen to this. Whereas worldly grief produces death. You know, all of the, the worldly agonies about the brokenness of the world. You know, there are lots and lots of wonderful people in our world with lots and lots of wonderful ideas. But the ultimate reality, there is only one way that produces life. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. How is it then that, that we might experience godly grief, our own openness to the work of God upon our lives, on our hearts? How is it that we're going to be moved to prayer? That's where it begins. To confession, repentance, to personal change. And only then the personal change that's wrought by prayer and repentance and humility will enable any life, your life, my life, or any society to be truly built back better. My um, lad Judah, um, who took excessive, I would say, delight in flinging things at his father's face this morning. Um, now, we, we, we love to read together, and he's got a particular book that he's fond of. It's a construction book because I think every boy loves construction or goes through that phase. I say goes through that phase. I'm not out of it yet. Um, any other men still like the construction phase of life? Um, yeah, and it's not just the men, there's some ladies probably too. I'm sorry. Um, we have this book, it's a lift the flat book, best kind of book, obviously. Somebody needs to make a lift the flat Bible. I think, you know, our Bible reading would all improve. Uh, but it, it's got this lift the flat kind of thing. And one of my favorite pages, one of his favorite pages, is the page about demolition. There's not a surprise, is there? Um, every young child is better at destroying than about building. Um, but we love the page about demolition, but there's a little bit on the page when you lift the flap and um, they've broken down, they've destroyed the, the couple of buildings, but then they take all of the rubble from demolition and they put it in the, the massive dump truck, the tipper truck, and it says on there, they say that some of it will be taken to landfill, but the products of the demolition, lots of it, can be taken to build new things. And I really like that. And it's like the last page of the book, and you're like, right, turn the page. I want to see what the new things are. And they're not there, but it fires the imagination. Brokenness actually can become foundations. Brokenness can actually become what leads to the building of something new, indeed of building back better. The challenge I have for us today is, are we to be the people of good ideas alone? Or are we wanting to be people who are of good ideas and of good hearts also? Are we people who will have the appearance of godliness alone? Or will we have the substance of godliness, thereby allowing for its power? If you're an impatient person, I'm just going to preach to myself for a little bit. Or maybe, actually, if you're a lazy person, nobody needs to put up the hand at the moment. Or maybe if you're a proud person, or indeed a selfish person, what you'll probably find is you'll struggle to do this work. You know, either you'll want to put the cart before the horse, that's the work of impatience, that's what I struggle with, I know. And you want to build, perhaps, with no foundations, 
Or, for some of those other reasons, you'll want to settle perhaps for the appearance that allows you to remain unchanged or unchallenged. How are your foundations doing? There's this old American preacher, and apparently he used to tell the story of two paddleboat steamers. Can you picture them? You know, those old paddleboat steamers that used to ply those big rivers in the States. And the story goes that they left Memphis about the same time. They're traveling down the river to New Orleans. And as they traveled side by side, crew members were making disparaging remarks um, about one another, about the slowness of the other boat. I'm not sure, but it's possible they were crewed, one by Alex and one by Moxie. And uh, they were flinging things at each other and trying to trip each other up, um, naming no names. Um, but there they go in down the river, and they're challenging one another about how rubbish each other are. Words are exchanged, challenges are made, and then it becomes a race. And the competition was so keen as the boats were roaring down the Mississippi. One boat began falling behind, not enough fuel. There'd be plenty of coal for the trip, but not enough for the race. And as the boat dropped back, one guy had a great idea. Great ideas, uh, they're ten a penny. And he had this great idea. He thought, let's take some of our cargo and chuck it into the ovens to make the boat go faster. And it did. The boat began to catch up. And so they made fuel out of more and more and more cargo, and they accelerated faster and faster and faster. And in the end, of course, they won the race. They arrived in New Orleans, and then somebody must have looked and suddenly thought, hang on, we've got no cargo. And they won the race, but the very reason they were on the river and going from A to B in the first place was utterly and completely lost. Go to the other end of the United States. There's a group of islands off the coast of Alaska. And apparently, they were inadvertently populated with non-native rodents. They're just littered with rats because of shipwrecks dating back to the 1700s and occupation during World War II. And this, these rats then became this kind of unexpected predator. And they, they disrupted the food chain. You know how these things can happen and started to predate upon um, animals that had no idea what a rat was, uh, let alone how to deal with it. And they preyed upon the eggs on the shore and the chicks and they nearly wiped out the bird population on the islands. And without the birds then consuming the snails and the limpets, they started then to flourish. And, and, and actually, everything went totally out of um, it's a uh, natural balance. So in 2008, um, to save the natural species on these islands, they removed the rats. They got rid of them. And it allowed the researchers then to, to monitor things and compare the ecosystem data over the next few years to see what happened. And what they discovered was that actually it started to recover after the ne next five years, and it had fully recovered after only 11 years. Now, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a long time. Since the 1700s, the rats had been ruining everything. But 11 years after the moment of significant change, things had been restored. One of the professors said, we were surprised that the level of recovery unfolded so quickly, we thought it could be longer. Here's the truth. You can build something of worth, seemingly, and it can, and it can happen really, really quick, but only if you're doing the foundational work 
of getting rid of the rats will what you build have lasting value. If you're willing to do the work of, of getting rid of the rats, then what you'll find is that you're not burning your bridges, finding yourself burnt out at the end of the journey, actually having nothing to show for it at the end of your life. It won't be that kind of speed. But if you'll do the foundational work of getting rid of the rats, there's another way of talking about that, I think. It's, it's called repentance, I reckon. Then the, the work can then happen as quickly, perhaps, as you'd hoped. But it'll continue because the foundations are in place. You know, today we're reflecting upon the life and the work and the teaching of Nehemiah. I'm going to see that while God uses him to do the necessary work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, there's a more significant work of rebuilding to be done. And it's the work of rebuilding covenant relationship with God. Walls are fine, but what's inside the walls? Getting to win the race and get to the end destination is fine, but what's left in the cargo hold at the end? Through all of the sorrow and the trials of the exile, and just to kind of recap for you, this story is happening after a um, long time before the northern kingdom of the people of God had been destroyed, and the southern kingdom had been taken into exile under the Babylonians, 586 BC, it's a long time ago, and then one thing had led to another, and now they were under the rule of the Persians, and some of them had been returning from exile to the remnant who had remained, and they'd rebuilt the temple under another guy called Ezra. But through all of that, the people hadn't truly, or at least hadn't fully, returned to God. They returned to a place. They'd rebuilt some things, but the work of returning their hearts to God was still very much in progress. There's a proverb that says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Don't worry, that's not going to be the, the base verse for a Father's Day sermon. <laughs> You're all like, how did he know? Uh, preaching to myself again, maybe. I think this is why the Bible says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. I know I've mentioned it before, but why does it not say mothers don't exasperate your children? It's just fathers, isn't it? I think there's something known in the Bible about the nature of a father. Um, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or a person who lacks self-control. That's where the people are actually in both senses. They have no actual walls, but they're people without the walls of lives ordered by God. And the question remains the same for us. Do you want to build a life do you want to build the appearance of a life? Do you want to build stuff that your life might accomplish? Or do you want to build a life that is ordered before God? And let the stuff flow from that. It's a serious question. And the older you get, the more serious perhaps it gets. You realize time is short and maybe the impulse is to just do more stuff. But the Bible is telling us you need to be more with God. Is your life ordered by God? 
What is to be done in the face of the lack of walls and indeed the lack of an ordered life before God? There's this interesting moment in chapter 2 of Nehemiah. He's having a chat with his boss, King Artaxerxes. And um, I expected some level of applause for saying that correctly, but, you know, I'm going to move on. Um, But, uh, no, it's too late now. Um, He's he's before his boss. If you remember, he's the cupbearer to the king. It's a pretty significant role. He's got quite a cushy place, but still he cares about those who are broken. And he's there before his boss. And twice when he's talking to his boss, he references something that just seems a bit strange, probably to our modern ears. And I'm sure that it was culturally just a way of reference, but it really grabbed me. In chapter 2 then, in verse 5, when he's making his case to, to the king, Nehemiah, he refers to Jerusalem as the place of the graves of his fathers. And then when he's asking that he can go, he's saying, can I go to Jerusalem, the city of the graves of my fathers? It seemed to me that this is probably something actually that's more than just a cultural way of referring to a place, or at least this is the way that it grabbed me, and I wonder if it might grab you in a similar way. What does it mean? I don't suppose you thought this Father's Day the pastor would talk about your future grave if you're a father. That's a pretty morbid kind of thing to talk about, isn't it? What's the significance here? Why does he reference the graves of his fathers? It seems to me that for Nehemiah, if I'm reading him right, the graves, they signify what ought to be or what ought to have been. They signify the place of the kingdom of God. And as we know, the kingdom of God comes through the covenant of God. They signify the place of the keeping of covenant in times past. Covenant is this promised relationship that's inaugurated by God that we also may offer our lives in promise and return to Him and live in the right relationship with Him. Look, we know that the covenant, it wasn't kept consistently. That's why Nehemiah is chatting to a Persian king in a far-off land. That's, you know, it all fell apart, but... These graves still signify what was and what might have been. Nehemiah, he's asking permission of this foreign king because he wants to go back to the place of covenant relationship. You know, it was always God's intent for Jerusalem to be the place of keeping the covenant, of showing the world what it looks like to be in right relationship with God. And you know, that investment in covenant relationship represented by graves, no less. It's now alive in Nehemiah. He can't walk away from what has been invested in him. He can't walk away from what has literally been sown into him, but literally has been sown into the ground as well. He has to be there. He has to be a part of restoration of relationship. Now, I know, you know, if I talk about graves on a day like Father's Day, and I know the room's gone exceedingly quiet, this, it's, it's a hard thing to say, isn't it? And, you know, for some of you, as a Father's Day comes around, you feel it keenly and perhaps more keenly than ever before. As this world and these lives that we live are lives not only of joy and of blessing, but also of loss. And for some of us, for me to talk about the graves of our fathers is an incredibly poignant and indeed painful thing. 
I'm not lingering on this because I want to you know, provoke or somehow hurt your woundedness, but I do want you to consider in the light of that, what is the significance of what has been sown into your life? What is the significance of how it is you want to sow your life into the lives of generations to come? Just for a moment, can I ask you to think about when you're gone? When you're dead and buried? It's a terribly difficult thing to think about, isn't it? What will your grave mean? What will your life have meant? If there's a Nehemiah somewhere down the tracks, will he look back at your life and say, actually, that is such a significant place. That is such a significant life for me. What that person sowed into the generations that came and indeed what they've sowed into the, into the very ground longing for the kingdom of God to come means that, that I want to live my life in covenant relationship with God. We're not here for very long, are we? We're not here for very long at all. What do you want your life to, to, to be about? Look, it goes back to the same question we're asking, isn't it? Do you want there to be walls or do you want there to be something in the walls? Do you want there to be the appearance of a life well lived or the substance of a life lived before God? And so Nehemiah, he asks the king to send him back to Jerusalem, the city of broken walls and of graves and of memory. And, and there he wants to go. And, you know, I think he had the inspiration for the song, didn't he, beforehand? He wants to kind of go and turn graves into gardens. It's a good song, isn't it? We like that. And we know this happens through Christ alone. But he's going there to go to a place that is, is actually just of the death, but again to bring the life. And he wants new covenant life to flourish again. You know, the people of God, then and now, are primarily about building covenant relationship. I mentioned it as I was praying, but we're about the behavior that flows from belief. But the belief flows from beholding God. You know, we're not just about acting. Nor are we just about saying things that we think to be true or believe to be true. We're about knowing God. This is what it is all about. We're about more than building structures. We're about more than buildings. We're about more than programs. It is God and his people. You know, this is what is to be built. And any other work of building in our lives, you know, whether it's, you know, building a, a relationship, building a family, building a career, building a home, building into society, any of these good things that are gifts from God, these things are actually rooted in lives built first in God and built foremost for God. You know, there's a temptation to think that a building or a program or a system is enough, but it isn't. You know, this is something that's been learned before Nehemiah. Ezra, who came before Nehemiah, and Nehemiah comes into what Ezra has been building with others, like the man who has the greatest name in the Bible, Zerubbabel. Does anybody else really love that name? I just wanted to get that in there at some point. I'm not going to talk about him, but I just love his name. Um, needless to say, that is one of the many names that Erin vetoed when we were having children. Uh, I was trying to get it in there, but no, uh, it wasn't going to happen. I have a very long list of names that I'm allowed to call any future dog. 
um, but I'm not allowed to name any human beings. Um, that's not my remit. Um, but Ezra, he came before. We've mentioned that he was about building the temple. In Ezra chapter 9, he's, he's praying. He has the same heartbeat as Nehemiah. And he's praying like this. He says, for we are slaves. That was his circumstance. Yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving graves into gardens, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. And then he prays, and now, O our God, what shall we That's the conclusion of that. Look, if God was just intent upon building projects, then the the book would have ended after chapter 6. But he's not. God's about building lives. God's about building covenant relationship. God's about knowing you and you knowing him and you knowing others and introducing them to know him. This is what God is about. Anything else is in service to that. You know, anybody who's involved in any building project, and particularly if you've ever been involved in a building project for the church of Jesus Christ, you'll know that actually when you finish the building project, that's when the work starts. That's when the work starts. And if you're pinning all of your hopes upon a building or a program or a structure or any of those kinds of things, well, then you're fooling yourself because the work is people. The work is people. And God is longing for his people to get this and to build and to build and to build what really matters. Renewed lives in God that come about through renewed worship of God. People very readily, very often, very quickly lose sight of God, lose sight of forming their lives around God. I think this year, whilst it has perhaps prompted many, many good things that for some people, maybe all of us in some ways, it's very easy for us to lose sight of the principal and primary thing of our lives, which is covenant relationship with God. You know, if you're seeking anything else as the primary, you might achieve it. I know you're capable people but your life will be like a cargo ship with nothing left in the hold. God is about relationship with people. And Ezra, he prays this poignant prayer, this outpouring of grief, because they're so far from God. Like He's built a temple. Shouldn't this be a moment of thinking, finally, we've done it, we've made it, we're done? No. It's like we're just getting going. We're just getting going. But he prays, and you can read his prayers, pray the prayers of Nehemiah. They just pray constantly to their God, to their God, because they know that is where hope lies. God has not forsaken them. Ezra prays, the same is true for us now. I know that for many of us, there have been particular and significant sorrows in this year past, and maybe some of them continue, and some of them feel, feel very fresh, and, and, and they, they're right at, under the surface for us today. But here is the word of God. He has not forsaken you. Ezra knew it. And we must remind ourselves of these truths, because if God himself has promised over you, I will not leave you nor forsake you. If Jesus has promised over us that God will be with us by means of his spirit, even until the end of this age, at which point he will come to be present with us, that there's not going to be a moment for the people of God when you're not present with him, then we can take him at his word. God has not forsaken us. 
And sometimes we forsake him. You know, we move forward realizing that, that the celebratory moments of regathering, and you know, they keep on getting postponed, don't they? Bit by bit by bit, it's hard. But the celebratory moments of regathering are nothing without relationship of God. What's in the walls? You know, you rebuild the things of life, but what's in the city of your life? There's got to be more than just walls. We're going to spend time over the next few weeks looking at what's inside the walls and considering how we can actually seek and work towards those things. But just to give you a brief snapshot through the book of Nehemiah, and you'll see it for yourself as you read forward. But in, in, in chapter 5 of Nehemiah, you find him working to restore justice. That's something that should be in the walls. And he's, he's bringing about um, some salvation for the poor and removing the oppression that the rich are placing upon the poor. It's important to have these things in the walls. In chapter 7, we find Nehemiah, he calls in the people to fill the newly built places with the people of God because there's no point in a city without the people. Uh, you know, and he, he says that actually the, the people are to bring gifts into the, God's work. That's the way it should be. People and all of their talents and all of their resources, that's how God wants to work. In chapter 8, Ezra, there's that guy again, he's going to read the law, and they're going to learn how to worship God properly again. They're going to have a day that is holy to God. Yeah? Sounds a bit like a Sunday, doesn't it? A setting aside a place for the devoted worship of God. And they're going to take care to order their worship with reverence and fill it with delight. In chapter 9, they're going to confess their sins. And it's only after that that the covenant is sealed. That it's actually kind of, a seal is such a precious and powerful thing. We don't have time for it this morning, but we'll come to it later. And, and then they devote themselves to the service of God's work. And then the book concludes with Nehemiah doing final reforms in chapter 13. You know, these are the things that show real covenant relationship, more so even than the walls. What's in the walls? These are the things that are within the walls. The walls are full with Nehemiah, and so it ought to be with us. You know, we gather here this morning, and, and because of COVID restrictions, even if we wanted to, we couldn't fill this building. And although we know that our, our friends and brothers and sisters are there in the building in Oasis, it's similarly there, and we have folks who are joining us via our live stream. Can you ever fill a live stream? I don't know. Ah, it's a pretty big place, isn't it? Um, we're restricted in some ways. What is really within the walls? You know, the walls, they didn't look that impressive in actual fact. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 3, there's those opposers, Sam Ballot and Tobiah. And Tobiah said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Does that sound like anyone's DIY? Um, are you good at DIY? I don't know. But, uh, if a fox goes up on it, then, you know, it'll all fall apart. It didn't look that incredible on the outside because that's not what it's about. It's about what's on inside, what's inside the walls. This is always the way with Christianity. Did it look impressive to the world when Christ Jesus was placed upon a cruel cross? Horrific shards of rough wood and then hoisted up on a bare hill. Did it look impressive? Do you feel impressive? 
Do we look impressive? Does it matter? No. 1 Peter 2 and verse 4 says this to us. As you come to him, and that's where it begins. As you come to him, like Nehemiah, like Ezra, in prayer, repentance, confession, longing for what's in the walls and not just the walls. As you come to him, a living stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is what it's about. You don't have to look impressive because God is doing the work in and through you, and he's the designer, and he knows what he wants us to look like. We are a spiritual house, the Bible says. And the only one that we need to have any regard toward is God in these things. You want to be built, certainly, but then to be filled with the Holy Spirit as we honor his presence with our lives of devotion. There's an interesting dimension to the building that happens in Nehemiah's time, and we're drawing to a close with this. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, they start building. Because whilst I've said that, you know, building relationship, the covenant with God is really what's most important, they do have to build the walls. Don't fool yourself. There's work to be done. There's work to be done. You can't be lazy in the kingdom of God. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, I just noticed this little thing that happens. And, you know, forgive me if I'm reading too much into it, but it really jumped out at me again. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, in those first few verses, there's long, long lists of names of people. But it begins with some rebuilding. And there it is by the, this, uh, the, the, it's being led by the priests. Because priests are allowed to build, it's all right. And in, cha- in, in verse 1, we read that Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests. They built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. You see, the priests, they don't just build, but they consecrate. They set apart the walls they build to God's purposes and to his glory. They build and they consecrate. They build what is going to be holy and set apart to God. But then as it goes on, in the next few verses, verses 2 and 4, there's loads of other people who build, but there's no talk of consecration. They're building, and it's good, and it's important, and it's part of the picture, but they don't consecrate. And then you get to verse 5, and there's these folks who are joining in the building, but we find that those people, they would not stoop to serve their Lord. They'll build, but they won't humble themselves before their God or before his servant, Nehemiah. And there's perhaps different ways of reading it, but it amounts to the same thing. It matters how you build. It matters how you build. You know, those walls, they might not have looked much difference between those that were consecrated and those that not. Those that were built in service to Nehemiah's call and those that were built grudgingly, but it matters. It matters. First Peter continues, chapter 2 and verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And here's the truth. You, us, we are the royal priesthood now. If you're a Christian, 
If you're in this covenant relationship with God, you're the ones who get to build and to consecrate the building to God. We now get to build lives, to build the church, to build one another, to build the kingdom of God here, and to consecrate it, to consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So get broken and build with that material. You know, the rubble it did for Nehemiah, and it'll do for you. It doesn't matter how impressive it looks. What matters is that you recognize who you're building by the grace of, who you're building for. It's consecration. That's what matters. Get broken and build for God. Build full of God. Get broken and see how God fashions a place of wonder and glory from the humility of surrender and devotion. Church, would you stand with me? I don't know whether you realized if you're a follower of Jesus that you're part of a priesthood now. It means you're the people who get to be with the Holy God and then represent the Holy God. Consecrate it. Set apart to God's purposes. It doesn't matter how smart and precious and beautiful your life looks on the outside. Look, your building was rubble. <laughs> it's going to look a bit different to how this world might tell you you're supposed to build. Your building was rubble. It doesn't look beautiful. It's very important that we understand we build with brokenness. But what's really important is that we consecrate what is built to God. If we don't do that, and we're just building those empty shells with nothing that's worthwhile on the inside. So can I invite you to maybe close your eyes or bow your head or however you want to be this morning. And, and whether at home or here, be before your God. And just for a moment, really nothing else matters. I know we're built together as a, as a spiritual house. This is a together thing, but right now you need to do this work for yourself. I don't know what your part of the wall is, but you're a priest who's building. I don't know how you've been building in times past, whether it's been all about the appearance or, or whether you've been building without any reference to God or whether you've been trying to build with shiny, nice pieces and not allowing for his brokenness. You get the chance to change today. The master builder is present. And he wants to teach us how to build anew. The cornerstone is here. And he wants to make a space for your living stone to find its place. What are you building? Are you building relationship with God? Formed upon the promise of the cross. Are you building relationship with God? with your own devoted promise come what may just offer yourself to God if you would this morning
Lord God, would you help us in these days? Uh, we find ourselves in, in places of tension. Proverbs teaches that a, a promise that a longing deferred it makes the heart grow sick but that a promise fulfilled is a, a tree of life and we find ourselves in those places all the time we're in one of those places now one way or another and um and, and there's so much of us that just wants to have tension resolved and to either have everything that we ever dreamed of or to just be comfy. But it, it doesn't happen like that. You call us to places of tension. You call us into the now and the not yet of your kingdom. And so God, I pray that we wouldn't rush on but that we would allow you to do the work uh, that these places of tension uh, give us space for. Lord God, don't let us be people who just run back to normal and go about building ordinary lives. Lord Jesus, prompt us, convict us, strengthen and enable us, God, to be people who are willing to get rid of the rats do the work of repentance, to allow for you to do the works of demolition if you've not yet done them in this season, and then to work with the brokenness, to recognize that what really matters is you and you and us and us and you, and how it is that we welcome others into the us and you. Lord Jesus, help us to give our lives. Consecrate us. Help us to consecrate ourselves. Amen. 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 We're going to sing a song as we close and then make an orderly cue to get those last bacon butties. Um, God bless you and keep you. Tonight we're um, live at 8 p.m. via Facebook and YouTube for our time in communion. Um, it's an excellent, in fact, the perfect place for consecration. So I hope to see many of you there this evening. Well, not to see you, but to have your comments and your presence. It'll be incredibly important. And um, we look forward to going together in these things in our transformed communities, not least in Alpha this Wednesday. God is doing incredible things, and we're looking forward to what God will do um, in and through us. God bless you and keep you. Let's worship him as we go. Amen. Once again, it's been such a delight to be able to share together as a church this morning. And uh, we know uh, that taking what God has been doing in our lives, we can go and have wonderful weeks with him. Just to um, invite you um, to journey together with one another as we go through the week. We as a church, we don't just gather, but we get going into what God has for us together. And we have these things called transform communities. We would love to help you to connect with other like-minded people who are exploring God's goodness and grace and seeing how they can be a part of his transforming work in the world. So again, hit us up, get in touch. We'd love to help you to connect. Anything that you need, any prayer requests, do let us know. And we'll love to see you again this time next week. God bless you and bye for now.